0: Kids today are such digital natives that it sometimes seems like they were born with chips implanted in their brains. The reality is online risks are everyday events for teens, but they rarely tell their parents. So what's a concerned parent to do to help their youngsters navigate online risks and help them anticipate and solve negative online solutions? My guests today have some ideas and some good questions and some good answers cybersecurity, data protection, privacy. You like to stay ahead of the curve and listen to experts who are leading the way in deriving greater value from data with a more organized approach to data privacy. You're like us, just a few deviations past the norm. You are a privacy sigma rider. Hey riders, I'm Michelle Dennity, Chief Privacy Officer at Cisco and the leader of the band of a great discussion today. We've got two guests today. They are partners in life and on the airwaves. They're the hosts of a brand new, ragingly hot podcast that you need to download and subscribe to today called Their Own Devices. It's a podcast for analog parents raising digital kids. Mark Grohman is a leading voice in privacy policy and a good body of mine. And his life partner and husband, David Reitman, Dr. David Reitman, brings the human element to the conversation as a medical professional who specializes in adolescent patients. Gentlemen, welcome to The Writers. Thank
1: you. Great to be here. Thank you. It's great.
0: Now, as you guys could tell, these guys have been married forever and together forever, so we're going to have to parse their voices from one another. They've started to sound like each other.
1: <laughs> Our mothers say the same thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very sweet, actually. Um. Mark, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on both of you guys. Mark is an internationally recognized privacy and technology expert who served as the senior advisor for privacy in the Obama White House and as chief privacy officer at the Federal Trade Commission here in the U.S. In fact, uh, my ex accused me of, of being delusional because the White Ho- I was telling him that the White House was calling and I couldn't talk. And it was just Mark. <laughs> I may be delusional, but the White House really was calling. Um, Since leaving the White House in 2017, Mark has been advising senior leaders in business and government on policy, risk management, and technology issues. He serves on many boards and advisory councils and frequently speaks about privacy, technology, and innovation. Welcome, Mr. Mark so excited. And I'm also delighted to have I the long time, I know the personal side of Dr. David Reitman through Mark, but I'm super excited to get to work with you. David is a doctor who specializes in adolescent medicine and treats teenagers for a range of health issues, far too many of which are related to the use of technology, as well as being an expert at the top of each of their fields, Mark and David are raising a teenage son who is adorable. So we have lots to talk about as parents, as professionals. Welcome, Dr. Reitman.
1: Thank you so much. Great to be here too.
0: So excited. So we have in common that we're raising kids as the first completely digital generation. I have a 17-year-old called Ms. Thang online and a 13-year-old that I call Sweet Cheeks. And you have a son, Jared, is 13 now? Yes, he is. Lord, help us all. And this is new territory. Um, So let's talk a little bit, um, and this question's for both of you, really. What are some of the issues, and, and why did you decide to put together a podcast on this? I think that's so cool.
2: So I'll start, and then I will send it over to David. But, so, this is Mark, and in January of 2017, when I left the White House, uh, I suddenly had actual time to parent again and to engage with my son and his peers. And at that time, he was about 12 years old. And I had just finished two years of some of the most difficult, challenging, and controversial privacy and technology issues I've ever worked on. But suddenly, I was watching my own son engage with technology, digital content, social media, and of course, video games, and his peers And I suddenly had a whole new vision into this world through my son's eyes. And I was starting to become concerned, not as much about what Jared was doing, but about some of the things that I saw his peers doing online. And I started to speak more and more with some of the parents as we sat on the bleachers watching Little League games or at PTA meetings and discovered that many parents were and I mean this with love and respect, clueless, just totally clueless.
0: (laughs) Yes, lovingly clueless.
2: But didn't understand or appreciate what their kids were doing at the time, that their profiles were public, that they were having their locations tracked. And so for me, that really combined my professional expertise with my personal life as a dad and started this discussion uh, and my side of it, the privacy and tech side, um, you know, over time in, at dinner collided with David's perspective, ad- adolescent medicine doctor, who is seeing technology issues from his vantage
1: point as a doctor. Well, I'm not sure it really collided as much as it, as it kind of colluded maybe. Ooh. Um, I like that. Just, to use an interesting word, uh, it, it, so <laughs> I, Mark is sitting here being shocked about what he's seeing and these issues, and I would kind of sit here and say, "Yeah, I deal with this stuff every single day. I've been working with teenagers for ten years, you know, fifteen years, and and this is the the trend that I that I've been seeing." So, when it came to things like the issues around you know social media and what kids are posting online and what are the consequences that they're that they're seeing uh and then this whole question you know you know about addiction and and sexing and um, and you know all all kinds of stuff like that teenagers are are just getting themselves into. I've been kind of living in this world for you know for years. It was just kind of very interesting to see all of a sudden Mark saying, oh, my God, this is a problem because we hadn't had a teenager up to that point.
2: So I, so I, I think that's David's polite way of saying: for two years, when Mark was in the White House, he was checked out, and I was solo parenting. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say that. That's that said,
0: <laughs> Thank you for keeping the rest of the world safe while, while you know, the home fires were were carefully tended at home. That's a, that's all good. I was fighting
2: about encryption in the West Wing, and he was taking care of kids. Right. <laughs> but, it takes when, a village, when, you know, people. When, when
1: we would talk about this stuff, and Mark would get you know understandably riled up, and our, and our friends get riled up. And I would say to people, but you understand this is what a teenager does. Yeah. This is what they're about. This fits into their development, you know, how they're supposed to function. This, and this is just a variation on what we've been seeing. And so after having enough discussions about that, uh, Mark and I ended up one night at a kind of a PTA meeting. Uh, talking about this stuff, and we were supposed to be on a panel with a bunch of other, like high schoolers, talking about these things, and we were the only two sh- who showed up. Talking about, you know, and you know, really addressing these issues with little kids, you know, like like twelve year olds, and their, you know, which are not that little, yeah. uh, and their parents. And after that, someone said, you know, you really should should start talking about this, uh, you know, a little bit more. And little by little, it kind of grew into okay, we're going to start to do a podcast.
0: I love that because I think there's sort of two reactions. One is, oh, my God, let's just keep all this stuff away. Take away the devices. Ah." But as you've noted, David, this is part of their identity. This is part of their maturation process. and, And just taking it away, what does that leave your child with? I think that's one side of the issue. And then the other side of the issue that I've confronted going into schools is sort of angry engineers coming up to me and saying, You work for a tech company. I came here tonight to hear the answer. Where is the answer? And my response is typically this is about parenting as much as it is any sort of, um, you know, ad blocker.
2: Wow. So you teed up a lot of issues there, Michelle. Um, (laughs) So I want to do, I know you work at a big tech company. And there are times when I, since I no longer work for the government and I can say what I want, (laughs) Um, and don't represent any particular companies, I do hold Silicon Valley's feet to the fire on some of this. And so, uh, obviously, I'm a passionate believer that parents need to be far more engaged, and I want to talk about that, but I don't want to let tech companies off the hook. Right. Because I have highlighted on the podcast my views um, and others, experts, um, people who have written books, that there are features in many apps and platforms and technology that are oriented towards children and we know it that are designed to keep them as they would say engaged as parents might say addicted uh, and that there are default settings that maximize data sharing there are default settings that maximize certain types of use and even where there's choice as we know the way the ui and ux are built choices yes they're there but the outcomes are often predetermined and not always with the children's best interest. And so I want to get back to parents and their role, but I want to make sure we don't let tech off the hook completely, because I do think there are improvements we can make in applications and platforms that are
1: for our kids.
0: Yeah, and I'll bring the bankers into account as well, because I think some of the business models inherently set the way that we're building the tech to meet them. I want to nerd out with you just a quick second here, Mark, and talk about The federal law in the U.S. here, the 1998 COPPA law, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. What's different from today than 20 years ago when that law was first established?
2: Well... In Internet terms, you know, everything's different, right? That was Web 1.0. And the concerns at the time were really straightforward about brand new things like AOL chat rooms and, you know, basic uh, uh, websites. This is pre-social media. This is before the iPhone or the smartphone And there were concerns in Congress about privacy and also about um, maybe kids interacting with strangers or predators, finding them in this new world of online chat rooms. And a lot of that uh, launched Congress into this debate, as well as work by the FTC at the time. So now you fast forward, you know, two decades, really, and we are now in the Internet of Things and a world of, uh, social media and user-generated content, uh, and a wide variety of other, you know, different kinds of technologies, data collection, machine learning, algorithms, artificial intelligence, uh, Alexa in your living room, and and other sensors in your home, and so it's really evolved. That said, the FTC did do a update to the rule several years ago and made it clear that COPPA is not limited only to websites but also applies to things like mobile applications and even uh, smart toys and, and also updated the definition of personal data to include identifiers. Those were steps in the right direction, although it was controversial. But COPPA and other laws, or in fact the absence of other laws, mean that we're not keeping up. With oh. this rapid rate of evolution in technology with innovation, particularly around, um, you know, I don't like buzzwords, or, but the Internet of Things and this growth of connected devices, where it's not so much about individuals affirmatively giving information to a company or submitting it, it's around passive data collection, passive surveillance, machine-to-machine communication, making inferences about us. That's a whole new world that we have to grapple with COPPA and other laws need to address.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, COPPA, as you rightly point out, in 1998, we didn't have cars where you might have a child sitting in the passenger seat in your smart car that's collecting all sorts of information information. So uh, let's let's go back, and I think this this. Interesting, feeds... though,
2: Michelle, a yeah. quick closing point on COPPA that's important is that COPPA only applies when a company knowingly is collecting data right. about children who are under 13, or if it's a product or service directed at kids. And so if a company, in the in the scenario you just presented, which is that you have data collection about a kid in the passenger seat, uh-huh. COPPA likely will not apply there because the company will argue that I did not have actual knowledge that the passenger was under 13 and I didn't design it for kids so I can collect away and whether it's willful ignorance or avoiding facts, I don't need to comply with COPPA because I didn't know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I wonder if, you know, continue to watch this space, you know, if there's going to be a differentiation between. Um, self-driving minivans and things that are specifically for kids. But I think there's all of that is a a brave new world, if you will. But I I, I tell you what, like in my own gut, I feel anxiety. <laughs> so I wanna <laughs> I wanna turn to David for a second. Um, sure. it's my observation as a non professional, I have never seen the amount of preteens and teens admitted for three-day holds in hospitals based on anxiety, um, suicide anti-packs, where I see kids watching each other online on FaceTime to make sure no one harms themselves, or other kids writing uh, letters online saying goodbye to their peers, either as a cry for help or an actual um, notification. Um, what are you seeing in your practice with anxiety, and how is that intersecting with all of these devices and all of this observation?
1: Well, what I'm going to say is going to be prefaced by the fact, by the the statement that you, you, you can't necessarily sit here and say there's a cause and effect here. Yeah. Um, that, that, that you know you can't you, you know we there's there's no real data that 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 has ever shown that this causes anxiety how what you know however it 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 is a conduit all right and it is another mechanism by which kids are communicating and so so yes a lot of this stuff you know kids are going to are going to be presenting themselves very publicly online and on Facebook and very, you know, various different, different uh, venues, and they're going to post stuff, and because they don't understand exactly what, you know, what they're posting, it's going to be seen by a lot of people. I think that you know, what I will say is anecdotally, and I think that, that many of us you know, who work with teenagers will see this, you know, is, is, that, is that there is a, a piece of being connected like this that creates anxiety in kids. Mm-hmm. um it, it just it 's the fear of missing out it 's the fear of every—you know what, what what if somebody sends me a text and i don 't respond right away what are they going to think of me uh am I considered to be the loser if i don't respond right away uh the, the bullying piece that we've uh, talked about on our podcast it, you know it, it, it's very easy to do stuff you know bad stuff to another kid if you 're just looking at a screen it's artificial is it, it, there's, there's not the personal you know relational pieces that you have to do if you're gonna quote bully somebody face to face so I, I think that that we do we are seeing a lot more anxiety depression that type of thing in adolescents in college students much more than we've seen than we've ever seen in you know the previous generations of kids is it, 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 not just about the technology, but the technology does provide a conduit for for, for, for this, and it does make it somewhat more public uh, that you know parents are seeing stuff, which is a good thing. You know, in some ways, that the parents are able to recognize things and and be able to intervene before things get you know get to have a bad outcome. But it, but I think that that we you know we are we are seeing that you know we are seeing this whether or not this is technology being the cause or being the you know the result of it. Hard to know.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, we'll get more into, sh- you know, shamefully using our own experience as parents in a second. But do you think, and this is a question for both of you, do you, do you think it sucks more to be a kid now?
1: Oh, my God, yes. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think it is really difficult being a teenager right now. I, you know, Mark and I have joked many times that if you know if we had had these kinds of devices when we were teenagers, we would have gotten into a lot of trouble, and and likely wouldn't be wouldn't be where we are today. But at the same time, you know, I think that there's a reality that this is this is the evolution of technology. The way we've seen we've seen it happen. You know, we had computers when we were teenagers. Kids have just, you know, have have supercomputers uh, now. It's not something where I say, oh, this is an all good or all bad thing, because you know, frankly, we, we've got plenty of technology in our house, and there's plenty of good things that come out of it. But it's when the technology kind of takes control, when there's not, when there's no filters that the, that the parents have a lot of times to kind of help the kids navigate the technology. That's where this becomes more problematic for the kids.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting in my own observation of my girls and and the circles around them of there's one side where they have a sense of community for the things that are that differentiate them and it's it's so interesting that like you and it's a kind of a cliche thing you you spend your adolescent years trying to fit in and then you spend the rest of your life trying to stand out but i think there is some truth to that you you want some sort of safety in in the pack but if you're a different kind of kid you can find community online but at the same time um you know this the norm of is it polite i actually talked to a 12 year old that i wasn't raising just to be clear to my ladies Um, (laughs) and she had gotten into uh, a sextortion ring she thought that she was sending nudes of herself to a young man who was of a similar age and it turned out that he was using sort of a justin bieber looking like avatar and once he got her to do one thing it led down the path of much more things, you know, because he basically threatened her. And, and I asked her, why did you send that very first nude? She was about 12 at the time. And she said, well, it was polite. He sent me his picture topless. And so I sent him one. And never in my childish, nerdy imagination would I think that's a matter of simple manner and etiquette. Are, are the norms changing?
1: Well, based on the discussions that we had when we talked to two teenage boys around sexting, I would say to some degree they may be. Um, you know, they're, they're, once again, not a ton of data out out there, but there. I think there is a some sort of a cultural shift. Yes, that if somebody sends you a picture, that it is rude not to respond with something, uh, and that, and then you know, could there be a consequence that if you don't respond, are you going to be ostracized or anything else? Um, you know, one of the things also that a lot of times the kid who feels like they are lonely and that no one understands them and which is, you know, very, you know, a every kid number of, <laughs> yeah. of, you know, 12 to 15 to 16 year sixteen-year-olds, you know, they, they they meet up with someone online, you know, who's going to kind of say, yeah, I get you. I told you, you know, I know what, what what you're feeling and I'm I'm feeling the same way. it, it that person very easily could be somebody who is really not another teenager. Uh, I've seen this happen with with multiple of my patients, uh, where they've actually gotten into situations like the, like the sextortion thing you're talking about, where you know where they they really thought they were talking to another fifteen year old, and that's how they ended up sending these pictures. And the person was absolutely not a fifteen year old; they were forty five, fifty years old. So your your story there actually is more universal than I think most parents want to believe
0: and it it crosses all demographics too. This is not you know lonely neglected children you know run feral this is this is people with loving households and families and intact whatevers. It feels like this is something that is sort of reaches across the political and and socioeconomic spectrum is Has that been your experience?
1: Well, remember, teenagers are supposed to make mistakes, yeah they're not you know that, that that's their job. And teenagers, you know, we kind of always joke about on the, uh, on the podcast, you know, with this, their frontal lobe. But, you know, it's a big thing that they don't see the consequences and they don't stop to think a lot of times. They're, they're not supposed to. That's you know, that, you know, in fact, a teenager who's, who's got too much caution there is, is almost not doing their job as a teenager. So that's something that crosses every culture, crosses every socioeconomic status, crosses race. Teenagers, are, teenagers make mistakes. The question is, are the mistakes they make going to be ones that are going to have lasting consequences, or are they mistakes they make that they can actually learn from, grow from, and move on? Sometimes, you know, when it comes to teenage pregnancy, there can be a lasting consequence. When it comes to doing stuff that's risky and illegal, there can be a lasting consequence. And when there is something that's going on that's where they're online and they're posting stuff that could follow them, whether it be just them looking stupid or drinking or anything like that, or something more significant, that's gonna you know that's gonna follow them. But this is all part of that spectrum of you know they're just not programmed to to use their heads to, to to make good choices. The problem being that the consequences you know when you when you throw in the, the digital stuff is so much more permanent.
0: Yeah. And it escalates. I mean, if you if you took the the if you added adult fear to a two year old learning how to walk, they'd never learn how to walk because every third step they're going to fall. And I I think it's similar and it's hard for us as adults to look at a teenager that looks like they're a rational being and creature. But you're exactly right. If they're not failing now, they will as adults. Right.
1: Right. And 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 this and this is normal. Where I think most parents get freaked out is because of the fact that these, there are these significant consequences, and it can, some of the stuff can be very in your face. You know, when it, there's pictures and stuff like that involved, and it, it, we, you know, they, they are they are going to have to potentially face consequences as as or the parents will that that are not what parents really expected when they first gave this cute little ten year old a smartphone. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, won't it, this which, be fun? Which
1: goes back to the role of the parent, right?
0: Yeah. That's what I was going to ask next. You guys are highly, highly successful doctor, lawyer. You're like the dream couple. And then you specialize in exactly this stuff. What's that like? How do you bring that home and maintain freedom? Yeah, so
2: our our son would tell you it's horrible, and <laughs> he is the most unlucky kid in the world. And he has told more than one person that mm-hmm. how did he get so screwed to have the only dad in the world who reads <laughs> privacy policies? I do too, <laughs> honey. <laughs> but I I think what I would say is first, um, and, I, and you know this, notwithstanding my earlier comments about some of the features in technology. I love tech and I love innovation and digital content and our house is completely wired and we have more devices and game consoles than I care to admit. And some people are surprised when I say that, but, but we do, uh, which then brings us to the role of, of the parents, which is that if just like before you would give your child an automobile or their first scooter or you would teach them to ride a bike, we have a role here. And one of the things that does frustrate me is when mom or dad, particularly where we live, um, give their ten-year-old an iPhone X uh, for Christmas, and it, you know, they unwrap it and off they go. When what ought to occur, what needs to occur, is the parents need to sit down with their kid before it ever gets turned on, and frankly, it should be way before it's handed to them yeah. to discuss the kinds of technology they're being given, the kinds of sensors on their device, what is location data, where are the privacy settings, why do we care about privacy settings. Uh, When they're younger, I control the apps and the administrative rights, and you can't just download any app without coming to us first. And then when you do want an app or a social media application, let's look at it together. Let's explore the features together and decide what makes sense and what doesn't. And if that's not happening, then we can't be shocked as parents and a society when we later find out that our children have engaged in sexting or there's cyberbullying or things are being posted online that, we, that shouldn't be. We have to engage. Yeah. Part of it is understanding the technology they use, and part of it is simply conveying to our kids – that your our values, our morals, our ethics don't change because you're in front of a screen. If there's something you wouldn't do offline, don't do it online because you're not face-to-face with someone and, and getting that across as well.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I'll tell you a, a game that I used to play with the girls before they ever got any sort of thing online. It, it's called Spot the Risk. And We would use stories in the paper or even just pictures. And sometimes I would take the pictures on my phone and say, spot the risk. And sometimes it was like, here's the driver's plate. Here's the address to our home, but you think you're taking a picture of your best friend. Or here's a picture of a sleepover, but your friend is like getting dressed in the corner. Or here's a picture that one of these faux celebrities have posted of their butt and look at the comment section. You know, spot the risk is like something that An analog parent and a digital kid can come together and have at least a discussion about, you know, why it's my concern. Why does this make me uncomfortable for you? What, you know, when you say it as being friendly, I see it as permanently going up on a dartboard somewhere. Um, So... We're sort of running up to the to the top of the half hour here, and I don't want to escape without asking you guys both your takeaways for parents, caregivers, privacy professionals, lawyers. You know, what are some quick wins here? Um, My recommendation, of course, is to subscribe to their own devices where you can hear Mark and David talking about these things. So that's my reco. What do you guys some takeaways for for parents and caregivers?
2: Mark, wanna go first? So, there are a few quick quick ones. Um, You know, if you have not had this conversation with your child at least 12 times, you're not being a parent, which is that delete doesn't mean delete. And so, teaching our children very early and quickly and repeatedly the, the lasting potential consequences of data, posts, and photos you place online. Whether it's Snapchat or any other platform, data can be there forever. And uh, and making sure they can try and understand that in their own terms, not as a lecture, but make it relevant to them and explain that um, just because you want to post something about your principal today, maybe not a good idea. Uh, and then the other thing is just this higher notion of um, bring your values to your digital life. Like yeah. they're not separate. And again, it goes to this point of if there is something you would not say to appear on the playground face to face because you're online on social media, looking at a screen does not make it any more acceptable or any less harmful. And trying to get those two points across, um, you know, we don't have time for others, but you asked for a couple. And so I like those those two
1: nuggets. So, and as the doctor of the couple uh, here, I would also throw in a couple things of, or a few things, uh, having to do with you know, remembering that there is a life outside of one screen, and how yeah. to kind of continue to parent and finding that balance. You know, the big thing that I see with my patients is that screen time tends to intrude onto sleep time, and you know, making sure that there are some pretty solid rules about how you manage bedtime, what time screens go off, uh what time gaming stops, uh what time uh they're allowed to send that final text or you know instant message or that type of thing at night. Um really talking about not having the screens in the room so that there's not going to be buzzes or notifications that are going to wake the kids up. Um as well, you know, as well as the general about, you know, the fact that you know, having technology I really do believe as a doctor as a parent is a privilege just like being able to drive a car is a privilege it is not a guarantee it is not something that is a right and so if you know if, if there's any kind of risks that are getting involved that technology can, can be taken away it doesn't it's nothing that it's nothing they, they have to have and parents do Do have a right to say I'm going to confiscate your phone. I'm going. I'm going to. uh, I've got expectations that I want you to meet uh, in terms of responsibility and being a good digital citizen. And if you're not doing it, then we're going to have to to have a reset and reevaluate this.
0: Yeah, I like that. And and every now and again, I may or may not have changed the password on our Wi-Fi system um, <laughs> just because that right was not being respected. Absolutely. Um, I really, really want to thank you guys. Um, I cannot tell your voices apart and I think it's kind of amazing Um, and I think for all the parents out there, the question is really do you let technology collide into your family or do you collude to keep your kids safe online? (laughs) Your choice, kids! But I love what you guys are saying. Bring your values to your digital life and there is life outside of the box and the final, final word, get some sleep, kids.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) You'll
0: thank me later. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. And it's a wrap, all you Sigma Riders out there. You've been listening to Privacy Sigma Riders, brought to you by the Cisco Security and Trust Organization. Special thanks to Corey Westerhold for our original theme music. Our producers are Susan Borden and David Ball. And a special shout out and thank you to our Cisco TV production partners. You can find all our episodes on the Cisco Trust Center at cisco.com go slash writers or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Then please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. To stay ahead of the curve between episodes, consider following us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And you can find me, Michelle Denity, on Twitter at mdenity. Until next time.